Let's drum roll. Who's going to do it? Who's going to blink first? This is Slashers, your new favorite podcast about your new favorite horror media. My name is Jake, obviously back on caffeine. With me, as always, are my esteemed colleagues, co-hosts, and cohorts, Jason and Mikey, who's only wearing panties. Say hello <laughs> to the mutant goons from beyond. Hello, mutant goons. And I didn't say I'm only wearing panties. I just said I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> he's he's news anchoring it tonight, guys. He's just wearing a shirt with uh, jean shorts under there. Jorts. <laughs> Jorts. Jorts were meant for John Cena and Daisy Dukes only. Anybody else appropriating, that's racist. Oh, goodness. Um, but yes, hello, everybody. Hello, everybody in podcast land and now YouTube land, because we're going to start focusing some more love on YouTubes. I love YouTube. I love YouTube. I think everyone loves YouTube. I think YouTube is essentially everybody's parents now, because if I need to learn how to do something, I'll just go to YouTube and I'll learn oh, it from you. For sure. A hundred percent. Like, I'm looking at the air conditioning unit that I learned how to fix from YouTube. I fixed it, and then the guy comes, because I forgot that he, I called, you know. I couldn't call it off in time. And so I'd already fucking fixed it. And the guy comes, and he's like, man, I you did you used to do HVAC work? And I was like, yeah. no, I have YouTube. And he goes, I'm hearing that all the time. And so I spent, I just felt guilty and had him install a float switch just because I was like, well, you're fucking here. I might as well. <laughs> Essentially, YouTube took our jobs. Is that what you're telling us? Telling oh, yeah. My dad never taught me shit about HVAC or anything. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, YouTube None is great like for everything. <clears throat> if I didn't have, I'm like, because, you know, people are, they get kind of touchy. Like, oh, I don't let my kids watch YouTube because whatever, whatever. But I'm like, if I didn't watch, if I didn't let Olivia watch YouTube, she probably wouldn't know her ABCs by the time she was like three. <laughs> that's what a really frustrating thing when people get super uppity about screen time. I don't know if uppity is a racist term, but I think it's a bad term. So people get riled up, let's say, about screen time. Because like I was raised by wolves. I just was left in a room with a television most of my life, right? And it's like, honestly, the cable guy, not that far off. I just don't have a lisp. But I was telling my wife, like, in terms of like relative imagination, you know, kids can only really extrapolate to the parameters that they have most of the time, you know, because kids can't generally, there are obviously exceptions, but play in a world that they aren't have some kind of familiarity with some parameters for. And that's one of the great things. Like if my kid watches Muppet Babies, she can go to ancient Egypt. She can go to the moon. She can go to the Cretaceous period. And then she can use that in her real life play. Do you guys have that experience with your children? Uh Currently, he's on a big bluey kick, and uh, Miss Rachel is another YouTube popularity that he's a, a big fan of on YouTube. I don't know who Miss Rachel is. What's she, she all about? Uh, she's like a uh, sort of like a, I think she got, I guess, kind of big in the pandemic. She does a lot of songs. She has lots of uh, uh, people come on and Muppets and stuff, and she uh, tries to help out with their speaking a little bit. Okay. Um, so he's a big fan. Of, he just likes music. Graham just likes music all the time. That's all he wants to listen to. Like even when we'll play like a, a show that he likes, like for Bluey, like he'll stop everything he's he'll doing as he's doing as soon as the, the interviews exactly. Um, but then as soon as that song's over, he'll start, go back to whatever he was doing. Sometimes, <laughs> like, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think the biggest surprise for me was I have a a wine bottle like holder, I guess, in my living room, <clears throat> and it's shaped like the Eiffel Tower. And one random day, Olivia was like, "Oh, that's the Eiffel Tower." And I was like, 
I have never mentioned that. And I don't know where <laughs> she got that from. And I then I saw that she was watching some YouTube video of some cartoon that took place in Paris. And I was like, ah, that's where she got it from. So long as it's not fancy, but fucking Nancy. I hate that little C word. Have you ever watched that shit? Is that the one that always has to go to the bathroom and never does? I don't know if that's the case. She does like, c'est magnifique. That's fancy for blah, blah, blah. Oh, no. And so great for verbiage. Some awesome dictation that comes out of my, my daughter has a few like 10 penny words that she learned from it. But the frantic flopping of her hands and running around, it's like she's got the vapors and stuff. I hate it. She's a C word. <laughs> the vapors. No, I haven't seen that one. But I, I thought you were talking about there's this one that like real quick clips and it's cartoons and it's like a potty god a potty god mother fairy thing no perry i don't know anyway she always has to go to the bathroom she always has to take a shit or something and it's like her in class or like her in the car and she's like i got to take a shit but like in children language sure and they're like i knew i should have gone before i left and then like a fairy godmother appears and she's like oh honey we must find the nurse bathroom and it's just really funny because I'm like, when you're of a certain age, you know not to fuck around with leaving without going to the bathroom. You don't have to learn this at age five. But honestly, that Daniel Tiger shit, like we kind of skipped it with my daughter and then tried it for my son. And now my daughter's super into it. And they have a whole like potty song of like, hey, don't shit your pants. And when you do potty, wash your hands first instead of smearing shit all over your dad's face. It's awesome. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, and also there was a toothbrushing one that, you know, how you're supposed to brush your teeth for like two minutes or whatever. Yeah, it's a toothbrushing video. And the song's actually really cute. And you put the toothpaste on the toothbrush and she starts brushing her teeth and it's like brush the something brush the something and like they're supposed to mimic what the video does. Then a whistle appears and it's like time to go to the top teeth. And so that really helps out on YouTube. Thanks, YouTube. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, actually we've banned Coco Melon in our house. Preemptively. Oh, my God. We've not, we, we, he, you know, the kids don't know anything about it. We're going to try to keep it that way as best we can, because everybody that I know that has kids and have sucked into the Coco Melon thing. It's just been ridiculous and they hate it so much. Dude, I've seen a bunch of ads for like Coco Melon live and on ice and they're fucking haunting like, I remember seeing, like, the Rugrats giant mascot-type creatures. This is even worse than that. It just looks like they have fetal alcohol syndrome, and I want to burn them with fire. Is it worse than the, the, the Ninja Turtles coming out of their shale tour? Dude, how you put some fucking respect on that name. <laughs> I listen to that soundtrack to this day. Gosh. You know what's kind of fucked up, Buck? So, you know, one of my kids really likes Cocomelon, and I don't mind it. I'm like, whatever, you can watch it. But there's a song of opposites. <clears throat> and one little boy has a cat, one little boy has a dog, one little boy likes to play outside, one little boy likes to play inside. Um, I don't, it just weirds me out. But one of the boys is white and the other one's black. Oh, and I'm like, so I, this is like the old Star Trek episode where one honky's white on one side and black <laughs> on the other. Then the other one's black on that side, white on the other. And you're like, we can't get along, dog. Well, I, it's like, ugh. So they have, the, there's two characters. There's a bunch of characters, a bunch of little kids in the show. One little boy's JJ's the white one and Cody's the black one. But I'm like, don't put them together in the opposite song. Cause we don't, we don't want to drive that divide more than it yeah, already is. Sure. <laughs> We're actually the same. That's not opposite. That should be the point is that it should be the black and the white kid on one side and then the Republican on the other. Am I right? <laughs> Welcome. Jake, our listeners don't like for us to get too political now. 
dude it's hard not to get political but what's crazy is like i've been talking to some of my conservative friends and they've even made me feel sane like when it comes to supreme court stuff and everything i'm like okay cool like i haven't like i've always been very liberal and i feel like i've gotten more and more radical but it's also i think that california conservative is still so incredibly liberal compared to the rest of the country where i'm like i'm in a fucking safe place generally like even with roe v wade overturning that's really a federalism issue and so my state is still a nice generally blue generally polite area you should come to uh mine uh mikey state and see how that's going over for, for <laughs> see, yeah no see thanks, how, dog. how far right the go it goes over here <laughs> oh, well i don't God. know i don't know how it's gonna play out but apparently i read that my city specifically was going to because i they can't of course like overthrow anything federal but i don't know how it works but there was an article about how they're talking about decriminalizing abortion specifically in my city don't know if that's a thing but that's what's being talked about right now so basically, that's what happens with Roe v. Wade. So not to get overly lawyerly about this, but it does not in and of itself say that abortion is illegal. Basically, what it does is it removes federal protection and thereby the premise for it is basically, hey, this is a state's issue, which is something that a lot of conservative rhetoric has used. And honestly, that is not a terrible idea in concept, but in practice, marginalized populations get exploited to no end because they don't have enough of a populace to take over a state. That's why generally federal protections have come in for, let's say, civil rights and things of that nature. So in this situation, the argument is, hey, this is not uh, shouldn't be a federal issue. This should be a state's issue or even a municipality's issue. But you see those pitfalls. Um, it's really frustrating for me to see because a lot of other decisions and a lot of other freedoms and privileges are by analogy, you know, protected with stuff like Roe v. Wade. And you really have that. Uh, it's exhausting rhetoric that you hear and you kind of want to get away from arguments like that. But the quote unquote slippery slope that you do have to, you know, kind of look at with those issues. But, you know, we're on the topic of abortions. Uh, let's talk about people slamming wieners and vaginas together that lead to those abortions and specifically let's talk about the wieners and vaginas from 1964 in japan yeah i'm all about it all about it now are they pixelated this time or are they not pixelated yet in 1964 not pixelated it's 1964 any oingo boingo fans okay in a long time uh i've never been to australia the mystic knights of the oingo boingo Mikey, you need to do yourself a favor. You need to look at what was it, 76 year old Danny Elfman, who has got a sicker bod than I do, who recently played a concert and it was scintillating. Also married to a Fonda who's just yeah. retired. Well, I mean, if, if your husband is a shredded 77 year old rock star, I guess you don't need to work anymore. Seriously, dude. And then he like still puts out music and still like, I don't know, creates. It's super weird. And then all the guys from One Go Boingo still do. Like, uh, I used to go see, there was a great concert every year i don't know if it still happens but basically johnny vato john avila and a couple of other guys from the original band would get they'd go to the grove in anaheim and they would play a show and oh it was some of the most fun i've ever had at a concert and i never got sucker punched which is very rare for me with my demographic of music huh were you screaming dead man's party the entire time play oh, it play it a hundred percent and private life and i mean like uh I heard that they played the song Heard Somebody Cry, uh, which is like one of the best songs ever. I, like really sets the tone for like how dark and like haunting uh, Danny Elfman's lyrics and prose would kind of become. He says, you know, uh, basically 
I am not a ghost without a soul. Come listen to my heart and feel the beats. Uh, stop through or stalk through these homes at night. You feel the yeah, anyway. It's really good. I butchered it, Mikey. Edit that part out because I got uh, a little gun shy. But it's really good stuff. <laughs> it's not coming out. Um, but I do have an important announcement to make. Yeah, I know you're talking about like Bernard Elfman or whatever. But um, on but, even mm, what Danny Elfman, Glover. Daniel Elfman, the first. Isn't he like a music composer for movies? He is. He did like Spider Man and Edward Scissorhands. Have you stuff. seen a Tim Burton movie? <laughs> mm-hmm. he's, he's, he, he did the score for it. He did the this little indie it. director. Um, speaking of Tim Except Burton's Ed Wednesday Wood. trailer came out, so go check that out. Um, also, my important announcement is John Carpenter's looking to John Carpenter is looking to come out of retirement to make another movie. Really? Uh, no, I am fine with him not. Mm-hmm. I am fine with him making music instead. Is it Ghosts no. of Mars too? Oh, Electric Boogaloo, baby! <laughs> yeah. No, actually, it's uh, there, he's looking at revisiting the vampire series that he was going to start. Son of um, a bitch! I actually love that fucking movie, unironically too. But I fucking hate James Woods. How? How is it that the cosmos <laughs> are trying to fuck me with this? I'm just really? kidding. I'm no. I'm just kidding. Oh. He is coming out of retirement, but I was trying. You knew to that think- would rile me up. This mischievous <laughs> little impish grin on your fucking face, Jesus. In his defense, James Wood is good in that movie. He's great. When he's goading the uh, the priest, he's like, hey, Padre, you get a little wood there? And it's like, that's fucked up. You can't be <laughs> saying that. You're an adult man. Of course you didn't give him an erection. But um, Oh, my goodness. Ooh. I do love James Woods, though. But speaking about things that are not woods and more like fields of reeds, today we are reviewing Onibaba from 1964. Um. I wanted to start off just by saying, because this kind of got started because Jake and I were doing Creature from the Black Lagoon. I really love doing this black and white segment, Slashers After Dark, Hot Daddy Top Slashers or whatever you said we were called. And then I was so like, we well, did Dilfs or Dilps, which is dads I like to podcast. We did Gonads. Remember that one where there's about a thousand different ones that we could yes. make fit that abbreviation. But honestly, <laughs> I mean, Jason's a dad, too. I think simplicity is very uh you know appealing to this modern demographic with the attention span of a gnat so let us know in the comments slashespot at gmail.com would you like this subset of show to be dilps keep going Mikey. yeah um and that's also why i was like we have to bring jason on because jason also is a dad on the podcast very true we didn't forget about you jason we love you i appreciate it and also so we were thinking about black and white movies and we selected one that we ended up not doing, but we will resume probably next week in doing so it. So fucking stoked about because that too, though. it's going to be really fun. We'll tell you about it afterwards, Jason. All right. <laughs> it's, a, it's our first two for episode. Yes. Uh, at because at one point we were talking about calling this subset of show the analog analogs, which is <laughs> to say analog in terms of like retro you know, media, sure. but also analog in the literal term of it being a counterpoint. So we would be taking an old thing and comparing it to a new thing. And so the next episode, we will be doing that, even though I think I can confidently say we're dilps, but keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the dilps. But yeah, so I remember Onibaba. I remember seeing Onibaba. I'd never seen it before until we had to watch it for the podcast. And I messaged Jake and I said, hey, I want to also do Onibaba. And I think, Jake, have you heard about it before? I had heard the name, never really committed it to memory. Uh, one of those things where 
like you you see imagery and especially like the iconic image of the the oni mask behind me you see a lot um i love you know yokai onis stuff like that so aware of it but had never seen it and i thought of course you know there's there's movies that you see it in the backdrop of your life that is kind of part of like a cultural zeitgeist where you're like okay i got it there's nothing that's going to get me on this and nothing that surprised me or but i was so fucking wrong so i was so stoked when you mentioned this because i realized just how i hadn't seen it and how like empty i was in that like niche of my brain and also my wife went to see some fucking moulin rouge thing or something where she had to leave the house and so i had like time to watch a movie with subtitles without distractions so that's why i was like fuck next week's episode i need to do this now because this is <laughs> just the lightning striking twice for me to be able to have this time to myself yeah and i was like okay i guess we're doing it this week because i remember seeing uh, the image showed up somewhere and i was like what is that that's that's creepy and i think it may have been like a criterion cell yeah and i saw the, the saw the cover and i said let me look into that and i did and i always made a mental note i should watch that because i love old black and white horror films and i haven't seen too many old asian in general horror films yeah. usually just like the 90s till like current is the kind of films i've watched that are foreign so I was like, that'll be interesting to see. The only thing I've seen from the 70s is uh, Dragon Ball. So, which in a weird way has a very similar <laughs> aesthetic. Uh, what? It's not what? It's 80s. Oh, I thought it was 70s. Are you sure? I, yeah, I could see why you would think that, especially given the original Makafujiki adventure theme song. But I can assure you it's the 80s. I'm <laughs> very much a fan. Dragon Ball is my favorite of the shit, which makes shopping for that merchandise fucking terrible on the internet. Because even if you put in Dragon Ball, it's like, what well, did you want Dragon Ball GT too? And I'm like, no, I just put in Dragon Ball. And Google's like, I'm pretty sure you wanted Dragon Ball no, GT. We all know you're a big General Rildo fan from Dragon Ball GT, Jay. We all yeah, know. Oh my fucking God. I am finally more than halfway through GT. I it, it has taken me over 20 fucking years to get this far. And the only way I can stand it is to do it with in Japanese with subs, which as you can tell based on this movie, I don't get that opportunity very often. Sure. I cannot. There's something fucking weird about Sean Schemmel and his awful fucking, every voice is bad. Sabbath's voice is bad in it. And they all sound like they're trying to be cool. Like I used to do improv, right? And we would go into a scene. And if I wanted to be like generic cool guy, I would be like, yeah, I'm a cool guy. And that's Goku's Super Saiyan 4 voice. And I fucking hate it. But anyway, Mikey, I have to And it's like it. backtrack, too. It's so weird. It's so fucking bad, dude. But the Japanese, it sounds... I mean, it sounds like the other stuff to me. The, also, the music's not as good. But, Mikey, I have to insist that you keep going. I apologize. I've derailed. And Jason and I can veritably do Dragon Ball. We could do Dilp Dragon Ball anytime. Sure. Absolutely. So, Jason, you might like this. Mikey's muted, so I'm not going to worry about talking him talking right now. Uh, my wife, for my birthday, which is coming up, got me an all mine shirt all might shirt where he is vomiting blood christopher oh. sabbath so i don't think i hate all sabbath i just hate gt sabbath he was actually just at a con here recently in raleigh super fucking nice guy because i you might remember that i interviewed jason douglas jason uh -huh. douglas is a fucking sweetheart i love that guy it was one of my favorite talks i've ever had on the show he plays beerus he knows chris uh just glowing things to say about him i i hope to meet them in person one day right well, Mike, first did I fill of all, enough time? Are you now that you're unmuted? 
Well, no, I'm going to stay muted because I have gunk in my throat because my allergies are really bad. So Ooh. I'm muting myself so you don't hear me constantly, like, clearing my throat. Can you do the signal, like, keep going, keep going, and not that I'm just being long-winded? I'd appreciate that. <laughs> now that we're on YouTube, they can see the cues, buddy. I'm fine. <laughs> Anyways, what was supposed <laughs> no, to just I take... No, I won't do that. <laughs> 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 well, see, this is why I want you to cross and zap me one day. I just sometimes just move on um i just wanted to take two minutes to talk about it. everybody fucking heard about this movie to begin with but now we're talking about by the way i like dragon ball also and i can also talk about it so to segment me out of this conversation and say you and jason could do that <laughs> it's a little homophobic to be honest it's not because jason and i have already done this, are gay so that's oh. one of the reasons no, Jason and I are probably a little gay for each other because honestly, Jason and I, if it's not a slasher's host or a former host, I don't talk to that person basically. And Jason and I have a, a long running side text where it's just like fucking anime. Oh, here's a picture of my cute kid. Here's a lot more anime. Oh, did you see this horror shit? Nah, me neither. Fuck modern horror. And we just keep moving on. But uh, Mikey, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask Very you, what accurate. is your favorite? What is your favorite Dragon Ball of all the Dragon Balls? Um, well, I'm going to be honest. I've only, I started watching Dragon Ball from the beginning. Okay. So it's like 160 episodes, I think. So I'm like not even close to being done. Um, and then I saw Dragon Ball Z when it was on Cartoon Network or uh, yeah. what's it called? Not Tsunami. Tsunami. Yes. Yeah. Tsunami. Tsunami. Which is on Cartoon Network. It came on like yeah. after school was like six o'clock or something. Rude, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There As a, a dog person, I can freely admit I fucking love SWAT cats. <laughs> there's a funny video that's like you knew that you were in school in the late 90s and early 2000s when you woke up to this and it was like an the anime opening anime song to um i forgot what it was uh it was an anime that i didn't watch it wasn't sailor moon it wasn't uh ham taro maybe it was a very angry sounding anime song and so i just thought it was funny because it's happened falling asleep with the tv on and waking up to that sure oh, yeah but yeah so we talked about how jake heard of onibaba talked about how i didn't really hear about it but i saw it on hbo so i was like okay great jason you have a little bit more of an interesting story than us yeah so i remember i was sick from school one day i was in high school so this is probably around 2004 and i was just like thumbing through the channels i was home alone of course and then i go to the independent film channel which is that is that still a channel does he might have i've been a cord cutter for like almost a decade yeah. at this point is that still a channel i don't know i, I see some stuff come out from like ifc midnight yeah, I don't know if that's connected, but I think it's on Sling. Okay, well, it makes sense because I used to put out a lot of stuff too, and I know that Stan versus Evil was on IFC, I think, or Sundance. Anyway, it was on one of those. I remember, I think I stayed. I was 15 at the time, so I probably started watching it because of the boobs. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, uh, but I was like, but I stayed because this movie was really freaking awesome. It's like 12 o'clock and sat on a Tuesday afternoon. I'm home alone. I was like, this is crazy. What? what is this movie i've never even heard of it and at this point i'd probably never even watch that many like i mean i'd seen seven samurai at this point probably because it's, it's sick i mean it's same as seven samurai kira kurosawa is pretty fucking awesome um but he's also star wars google it he's star wars keep going oh yeah he absolutely is and george lucas almost bought the rights at one point um as a guy who loves willow and kind of like star wars as a kid it's incredibly frustrating where i'm like plagiarism but i kind of like it but i, I mean, mean I will give him. I will give him props. Luke Skywalker is not in Hidden Fortress. Every other character in Star Wars is exactly. in Hidden Fortress. Luke Skywalker <laughs> exactly. is not. So, 
the, or get the some Chewbacca. generic yeah uh hero's journey character is his own creation that he also stole from the ancient Greeks exactly yeah exactly anyway um but it, and I remember so I remember sitting back being sick uh and just watching this movie and thinking like this is pretty awesome I'm glad I was sick today I never would have watched it without this and I watched it again probably six or so years ago because I saw it on Hulu one day this was back when Hulu used to have like all the Criterion movies. Oh before. yeah, yeah, that was a great time. That was. It was like that was the actual golden age of streaming. This is not the golden age of streaming at all. Yeah, we've back had a, when it was a pretty just precipitous like, drop off for sure. Yeah, back when it was just Netflix and Hulu, that was the golden age of streaming for sure. As um, a parent, Disney Plus did me a lot of favors. As a consumer of media, that it was a very very cognizable like issue where a lot of streaming and and right before the like the Fox acquisition where mm-hmm. you started to see all sorts of good shit just like slowly seep away and I think that now we're basically in the old cable days but keep going yeah absolutely um and I watched again and I remember I watched it and I was like this is still pretty awesome why don't people more people talk about this movie like I know it's in the Criterion Collection so film buffs are are going to be aware of this movie. Um, especially since you re- you realize that like, and it was a big, had a big input or a big legacy because I know uh, Pazuzu, the white face from Exorcist, is yep. uh, was insp- influenced by this mask. Hundred percent. Um, so I was like, and then I watched it again, and I watched it. I was like, let's watch this in the dark, completely quiet. I remember I was in the bedroom. Uh, the baby was asleep. Everybody was asleep, and I just watched. It. I was like, this is awesome. Watch this in the dark if you get a chance. If you've not watched this movie, it's on HBO Max, like Mikey just said. Yep. Um, and then they were like, Jason, you want to do Oni Baba with us? I was like, fuck yes, I want to do Oni Baba with everybody. <laughs> well, it's so funny. Each of us recreated the same circumstances for watching it, which I don't know the last time I sat down and watched a movie for this show in complete silence, except for the sound, in complete darkness, except for the light of the TV. And you both did the exact same thing. And it feels like that's why we kind of had this transcendent, pseudo-religious experience with this movie. Like, this is like, all-time great for me at this point yeah this is a i mean this movie is a lot of fun to watch you know yeah and one of the things that jake said was if you just showed this movie right now it could totally be taken as a current a24 film i stand by that hard dude the pacing the visuals but also i because when i was watching it for some reason i kept thinking of the lighthouse and i was like yes this is is what the light i have a whole diatribe I was like, I wish the lighthouse was like this. Yes, dude. I don't keep going because I, I completely agree with you. I have a whole fucking thing about how it's the two characters, the sexual influence of a third, the, you know, honestly, I cannot imagine that there is a reality in all the cosmos where the director of the lighthouse hasn't seen Onibaba. And that isn't like a spiritual love letter, if you will, with it being so eerily similar in so many ways i i just i happen to like this 10 times more than lighthouse which is crazy because the lighthouse is so much more dialed up and i think we can kind of agree i generally like stuff that's dialed up i don't really like the goonies i love the monster squad i will admit monster squad comes later it is a lot of the things that worked in the goonies ramped up i like a lot of 80s horror which is stuff that worked in the you know the creature feature era like the thing from another planet or whatever and then you got john carpers you turn it up but that was just like i didn't need it turned up i didn't need it in technicolor even though it's monochrome you know i loved this movie um what do you guys think jason can you compare it to the lighthouse Oh yeah, so I didn't even think about Lighthouse. I was thinking like um uh 
midsummer kind of way with the the way it was all shot and a lot of the landscapes and stuff yeah. that's what i was kind of going to but i yeah i didn't I, that's absolutely like the light you know as fact, it's, this is a three-hander you know just like uh uh the lighthouse was for sure um and it's well, I, i'm just kind of sitting here trying to ruminate on that but yeah that was absolutely absolutely very accurate um you know, comparison there for sure. Well, um, yeah, those moments where it's it's so subdued and it's just two characters working. It's just two, but it feels like this tension is rising the whole time, right? And with Eggers, like there's open there's open antagonism between the two. Oh, but yeah. then when it comes to this, I feel like that it was so interesting because it's almost like the phallic male, the vaginal female, in terms of like the way that they presented that antagonism. Whereas you had the hag in this one basically trying to uh, entice, use her wile and guile and whatever you want to call it to cajole this girl into doing what she wanted versus with, you know, Willem Dafoe, he's so much more pervasive and in your face and domineering. And it's very similar. Like, I don't know if maybe I'm getting into a gender studies argument, but you know what I'm saying there? Yeah. Yeah. If I look at the lighthouse and the way that Robert Pattinson and William Defoe, I feel like watching that movie, I felt like I was watching like the top students of NYU's film project where they got the top students in acting class and was like, Hey, play along with the dialogue improv. You guys are experts. Let's make magic. But with Onibaba, it's, I feel everything is on purpose. Mm -hmm. Maybe they improvised some stuff, but everything just felt so calculated from First of all, even though Lighthouse was black and white, this black and white is on another level because they oh, use yeah. lights like the whole film depends on it, which it doesn't, but it just brings it that much more value. The lighting, the shadows, um, <clears throat> and then you have the two main characters. And when you're talking about character development, I feel like I cared for these characters more than I cared for the Lighthouse characters yep. because this essentially was a family who got told terrible news and I believe when I was looking at it, I believe this is supposed to take place around the 1400s regarding dueling emperors. Yep. Not big on history. I'm sorry, everybody, but that's what I read. So, <laughs> um, <clears throat> and so we have basically, and they call her the, the hag or the old woman, but really she's maybe like in her late 40s, um, maybe early Which, 50s. I mean, when you think about the timetable, like, it's middle, more than middle-aged. Yeah, this yeah. is. A, I think they said, oh, I was looking at it, this movie. They mentioned a general at the time. So this movie was probably based in like 1330, somewhere around their time. So if you're 40, you were old, already, old, old. Already <laughs> almost out. But she, the, yeah. the, the thing is, she's still pretty, though. Like, yeah. you know, you see, you know, when you think of hags these days, you think of like, you know, x the movie x um but like you know yeah she had crazy hair but like there's a ton of tits in this movie well not a ton but you see the two main girls boobs like those four tits you see on heavy rotation (laughs) yeah i can't sleep without this robe just slightly (laughs) askew so i can see all of my deep cleavage oh oh i'm sorry my boobs have popped out now here okay well, what I love is it ramps up the tittage where at first it's oh, like totally. kind of a little bit of side titty and you're like, okay, I'll take that. Like, I'll accept this. This is fine. But then by the end of it, it's like titties out. It's like, we're not even wearing the robe anymore. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're lucky I'm wearing this crusty diaper panties. That's all. <laughs> yeah, but it's, and it's not, it, the weird, it's not pervy. It's beautiful. And like, and I think that's why, why it throws me off when they're like, keep going, old woman. And it's like, no, she's actually like 
she's got a great body. <laughs> well, I think that's one of the things too, is the element of her age is amplified, not by how old she is, but by the fact that she's unable. And again, this goes to kind of gender studies to have another child. It seems to be that's kind of the, the defining factor of her age, but it also speaks to gender roles significantly, which is a guy is very often looked at as less of a man if he can no longer get an erection, which is a very silly thing when you think about like the physical ramifications something like menopause can have. And I truly think that's one of the elements with her is saying that, that her validation as a person, as a grieving mother is made lesser than because she can't get knocked up so much so that the guy is like this skeeving fucking douchebag is repulsed at the idea. And I think a certain element, even though he's not talking about procreation, the fact that she isn't even viable in that regard shows how she is perceived. Right. And she certainly doesn't yeah. perceive herself that way at all, because at the beginning of the movie, you know, the uh, the I guess the merchant, you know, he's like he asks, like, I'll give you another bag of millet if you even if you have sex with me. And she's like, no, not at all. I wouldn't ever. I'd never do that with you. Um. But yeah, it, that, that part actually reminded me of Dragon Ball. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> with Bulma <laughs> and the turtle guy. Oh, Master Roshi. Yeah, yeah. I honestly, old Dragon Ball is super horny. Um, I bought a box set, and some of these people left some of the shittiest, evil, mean reviews about how it was like grossly censored. And there's still like Bulma's tits and butt and stuff in it and stuff. It Goku's dick in a bunch of places, but where they censored it, which I thought was really interesting, was the exploitative parts where it was like, uh, let's say Yamcha perving in on her when she's in uh, the van for uh, Oolong's shower, right? She, there where she's being exploited, it doesn't. But like later on when they're having the mystic tournament and they make the Dracula bleed out his face, it was purposeful. She was a part of the gag, so it changes a little bit. Uh, very interesting to see how the Japanese take censorship and penises and vaginas and you have pixelated dicks but then you can have people getting tentacle raped it's it's you know i can't judge well that may have been <laughs> censored on the american side because i think the biggest thing is almost like 15 or 16 yes <clears throat> yeah so it might have been censored on the american side because i don't know what the age is in japan but neither here nor there uh so I just want to give some background of them. Well, I don't know. Do you think we should give background on what the movie is about? Or do we want to just say, go watch it if you haven't seen it? I think it's okay to give the generalities. And I think it's okay to, you know, say for the next five minutes, we'll get into spoilers. And then kind of just talk about like imagery and stuff like that, that we liked. Because I think the story itself, I could tell you what happens in the movie. It doesn't matter. It's how it happens. It's how it's presented. That's what matters. Because the story is very reserved. But it's the presentation that really makes this a classic to me. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. kind of like uh, for anybody that, has, that maybe hasn't watched it yet, think of it's kind of like the best Tales from the Crypt episode. You okay. know, yeah. um, you know, it's it's stretched out to like a hundred minutes long, but it's it's all about these three people and how they enter and how they're interacting with each other and ultimately get their come up. It's you know just kind of like an old EC comic would. You know, that's that's kind of what yeah. I was thinking at the end of this. It really, really kind of hammered home now i guess this came out after no i'm sure he probably didn't read any ec comics when he was making this movie um who knows how if they really got over in japan at all um but i do think that that careful what you wish for monkey's paw effect really does that's a very astute kind of observation which i think is a very of its time where it the cautionary tale um and you i could tell that you when you said it was stretched out to 100 minutes it wasn't like stretched out in a bad way like you know, oh no not at all yeah, like the Asylum films where it's like, fuck, there's five minutes of movie here and it's stretched out to 90. Yeah. It just so happens that like 
it's taking its time to deliver that message. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I wanted to ask you guys, can y'all think of a children's media that was heavily influenced by this story? Because the one thing came to mind at the end of the film. Oh, I do. This is like kind of also inspired by an old Buddha parable, but I don't know. I'm trying to think of a children. Now, would it be American uh, children's story or? Yeah. I'll just Hmm. tell y'all. The Haunted Mask by Goosebumps. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You can totally say that. Or maybe even the Haunted Mask too, because they're old people. I don't think I read that one or saw. I don't know. Is it a novel or is it a? a yes, yeah, so this is a novel and a, it's a novel and a animated TV episode out of it. But she, the the guy wearing it just gets old, very old. Oh well, that'll be on the uh, Slashers podcast. Gets lit AF. That we do. <laughs> oh, I know. There's this movie. I don't know if you've heard of it. This guy puts on this mask. There's some mysticism involved. It's actually called the mask oh yes not familiar Smoking. oh come on i'm just kidding okay that's your second to yes that's, and me god damn it i'm sorry i've only i've only read the comic book series that, it, oh, that, that it's based off of oh, he's got a motherfucking machine gun and shit yeah i actually did I, pick up a comment from them like i was like somebody was like hey just have this and i picked it up and i was like okay this is certainly a comic book that people base the movie on that's yep. not at all like the comic book <laughs> Same I with would like just the like to like, oh, go ahead, Mike. I was going to make an aside real quick that you're on your second Jim Carrey reference. So watch out because the third is the last. Did I reference Jim Carrey? Or, oh, Cable Guy. Cable Guy. Cable Guy. Yeah. <laughs> He's just so ingrained in my DNA. It's just like the word the. Yeah, you remind me of him a lot. But um, oh, I had somebody go out of their way to tell me that I look like Cillian Murphy from Peaky Blinders and uh the scarecrow from the Nolan trilogy. And it's not the first time I've been told that Mikey, you've studied my face like none other on this show. Is this person right? I wasn't studying your face, but um, my balls. <laughs> I will say silly and Murphy. When you mentioned it, I can totally see it, but I don't know who scarecrow from the Nolan series is. It is silly and Murphy. That's the oh, yeah. Yeah. Then. Yeah. I mean, you're a little less um, English. Looking. Well, I'll take I'll take umbrage with that, Governor. Isn't Celine Murphy only like five seven? Also, oh fuck that! I tower over that bitch. <laughs> how tall are you? I mean, we'll find out in October. But how tall are you? Six one, baby. Oh. Oh. But it's not my vertical length that matters; it's my horizontal length. If you get my drift. Oh, you don't I'm... have to lie on your Tinder profile, do you? I didn't think no, you were. I, that I have fat. a Tinder profile. Uh, if my wife ever listens to this episode, please <laughs> do not. I Disclaimer. Don't have that. I was just joking. Of all the episodes, I'm sure she's definitely going to pick the one about the Japanese movie from 64 that she's never seen and has no interest in seeing. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Only grinder for Jake. Only grinder. Oh, yeah, oh. for sure. I mean, she doesn't have a dick and ball, so she can't be jealous because she just can't offer me that. And they don't care yeah. about height, so. <laughs> yeah. They care about the gape. I'm all about that gape. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about this. You want a funny story? I'll tell you a funny story. So my mom, her grandmother, they called Baba. And so I had always thought about like Baba Yaga and stuff like that. The old croon with the house with the chicken legs. And then you have obviously John Baba Wick. Yaga. Yep. Whatever. Baba Mega. Bab- Ma- Baga Mama. Baba Trenhaga. Make Baba Trenhaga. Oh, speaking of people that, that Jake looks like. Um, but go ahead. Your I can grandma. see it. So anyway, my kids call my mom Baba. And this movie is Oni Baba, which is quite literally Oni, Demon, Baba, Hag. So now every time my kids call my mom Baba, I'm 
giggling merrily at the idea they're calling her a Japanese hag. Demon hag. <laughs> but also, I think it means woman in just another language also. So she would only be a Don't hag. Take my joy Japan. from me. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My um, joy is mine and not yours. <laughs> well, speaking of kids saying things, did I tell you all the story already when I took my niece to the zoo like five years ago? No, but I'm listening. So we were at the zoo, and do you know what a dick dick is? Uh, it sounds like the Pokemon. <laughs> a dick dick, it's D-I-K-D-I-K. It's a very tiny deer. Like think of like a deer the size of a chihuahua. And okay. it's super cute. <clears throat> they had them at my zoo, and I was like, oh, the, I really like to go look at them because I just think they're really cute. And my niece was like five at the time. This was like six years ago. And she was like, oh, Uncle Mikey, what's that? And I was like, oh, God, well, of course she has to ask me. <laughs> and I was like, it's called a dick dick. And she gave me a weird look. And I was like, it says it right there. And she's like, okay. So in this part of the zoo, we were like a part of like the Africa continent animals. And they totally there was, <laughs> there was a gazelle next. If you are unfamiliar with the gazelle, it looks like a larger version of the dick dick. And so my niece in front of everybody says, look, there's a big dick dick. <laughs> yes. Kids do say the darndest things. Especially when Kyle's got a microphone in their face. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Jason. So um, I want another good one. So my son is learning a potty train. This is a Dilps episode, so we can talk about our kids a lot. Son's yeah. learning to potty train. He's sitting on the toilet. My daughter walks by and she goes, oh, Ash, you have the cutest little penis and walks away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. My wife has uh, this fucking journal where she like writes a sentence a day. And I was like, Sierra, that has to be Ash, you have the cutest <laughs> little penis. And she's like, no, I'm not doing that. Oh, my. Well, I guess the funniest thing that's happened with uh, with with Graham recently was that he had a, a huge poop and it was very smelly. And the cat walks in. <laughs> To the room while I was changing the uh, the diaper, immediately throws up on the floor and walks out. <laughs> so I'm like changing his diaper, and it was a very very big smelly one. And the cat's like, "What the fuck is this?" And then she immediately throws up on the floor. So I'm just oh. like, "Fuck my life, fuck my life." Oh, oh my man, God. you better not let Peter hear this episode. They're gonna come after you, and then they're gonna euthanize your cat. Well, hey, somebody's got to do it. I guess it's I it's Peter. They're probably euthanize the child first. Yeah. As a vegan, it's okay to hate PETA. In fact, everybody else should as well. Thank you. That's my TED Talk. Is that, a, is that an actual <laughs> TED Talk or an ex-TED Talk? No, it's a TED. It's a TED Talk. Okay. Which Very is different. totally erect dilp talk. Nice. So going back to oh. the movie, basically, uh, you got the little soldier boy going off to war, and he basically leaves his mom and his wife. So it's the daughter-in-law. And then they're just living in a hut and they're left to their own devices. They have to provide for themselves. They've there's basically famine because there was uh, a winter during summer that where they're supposed to be growing their crops. So they have to become resourceful. And I won't necessarily say how they make their money, but it's not the most savory of ways. Then somebody returns one of the son's allies uh, alone without the son. And it's like widely accepted that the son is dead. And basically, this is what comes out of this third person entering what has become a very private and secure bond of trust that these women have because of their somewhat nefarious means of garnering fundage. Is that a fair brief summary? Absolutely. I would just like to say it's not exchanging sex for food. I don't think that's unsavory, though. Just to be clear, prostitution is the oldest form of currency exchange that we have. 
Well, I know that's why I want to set the standard. That's that's not what they did because yeah. it's it's more it's unique. It's something you haven't really seen in a movie before. I haven't. I, I truly. Well, I mean, short of certain things where it's an afterthought. I'll just say it. they're fucking killing people and stealing shit, right? Yeah. But it's like this isn't them killing people for gratification. It's literally just a means to an end. They take the stuff, they sell the stuff, they get the millet, they get the right, they get to eat. Well, specifically, they're killing. Okay, so is a samurai a soldier? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because the the synopsis says that they kill samurais, which I was like, is that a soldier? Or is that something else? Because essentially, they're selling off their armor and their weapons and everything like that for yeah. food. Yeah. The best part though was when it was when they were killing those samurai soldiers in the water. And like, but they were still like swimming at each other, but they were still like trying to uh, like swim away from each other. They were like, you know, when you're with your brothers or whatever, with like the pool noodles in the pool, which is trying to hit the smack the crap out of each other. That's I know. I was like, are they playing or are they trying to kill each other? <laughs> well, that was like the one gripe I had in terms of, I think the sound design was really good in the whole movie. Sure. But that scene, because it just kept dropping off. And I get it. It would be this cacophony and it would be distracting and it would be very hard. You wouldn't necessarily be able to hear their discussion about killing them and everything. But for them to go from violently yelling to completely silent to drowning, to, it was just that was probably the, the weakest area in that regard. But that's how this guy ends up kind of permeating their circle of trust, which then, you know, has ramifications later on. So it's a very important scene. I just think it happens to be probably the weakest, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I can certainly see that. And yeah, it was splashing around and yelling at each other. And you can tell like, some of this stuff is overdubbed for sure. Uh, oh, yeah. I would like to hear the original. Apparently, they did a, an English dub for this movie in like 70, 1970 or something. I was like, I would oh, like no. to hear how bad that is. <laughs> I bet that's awful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Th- oh, go- sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say, so... The version we saw on HBO with the subtitles, that's the original audio, correct? Yes. Correct. Okay, because there was that's a couple of times. collection version, yeah. yeah. Okay, because there was a couple of times where I felt like the dialogue didn't match with what their mouths were doing, but that could have yeah. just been ADR or whatever it's called. Sure. Yeah. Well, you have to keep in mind, they actually shot on a location. So those reads and things were blowing at all times. There was uh, like a flood at one point. The people had to like live out there in the fucking boonies for a while. Uh, yeah, they had like enticed them to stay around. The cinematography is something that I took note of almost immediately. And there's so many shots that are so smooth of just running through the reeds that I'm like, how did they get it to where the reeds aren't smacking in front of the camera? <laughs> that's just work, dude. That's yeah. all that is, is that, that like that's an incredible amount of work to stamp down, to set up a dolly rig, to do all that. And it's it's beautiful and it's worth it. And one of the crazy things too, think of day for night. Think of how fucking shitty most day for night is where you're like oh you just put on a shitty filter and you're we're just we're just gonna all pretend that this is nighttime even though we know it's not in this movie in order to preserve the element of the reeds and that movement and that kind of like unnerve it almost makes you feel seasick for a certain amount of it when they're running through it right you have to compromise because you need a lighter sky behind it so that you can have that kind of silhouetting motion so you're sacrificing the realism because you could simply tilt the camera down at an angle and you would lose the motion but you would get a more convincing night shot and this is one of the times where that artistic element of that really makes it okay like i i would never criticize this movie for different because it has those elements that are so just visually beautiful and kind of mesmerizing it's just a lady who's got a giant vagina tuft running through and a guy with a little pecker flopping around chasing each other 
but it looks so good where I'm just sitting there like, I could get a tattoo of the guy with the little dick on one leg and then the big muff on the other leg and it would be this beautiful piece, you know? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I it, support that. Yeah, I, I was when I was watching this, there's a show that used to come on YouTube and I, either Sundance or IFC it was called Every Frame of Painting. Okay. Um, and it was just like, it, it, it was just, it was strictly about movies and their cinematography. Usually it would be like one movie and they would talk about how, how great it looks. I was like, why did nobody ever do Oni Baba for that? Because this movie looks fantastic you know yeah my favorite scene i don't know i mean i'm pretty sure i hope you guys took mental note of it is about three quarters into the movie when one of the women's coming back to their hut and they're coming out of the reeds and the hut is in the foreground and the moon is behind them but it looks really big yeah and it's so clear and i'm like is that like did they get that shot on location or is that editing like can they do editing like that in the 60s it was just (laughs) It was so good. And every time the daughter-in-law was, so the first time she ran through the reeds, I'm like, why does she look like she's having a panic attack when she's just walking through the reeds? But then like, I loved every running through the reed scene. They had that eerie, like it sounded like a pigeon call when she's running through the reeds. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then you kind of understand that she's scared because it's nighttime and she's just freaked out. You know how like, when you go to the bathroom, you make a run for it back to your bed so before the monster under your bed gets you. I think that's what she was trying to do. Agreed. But those running scenes and just her face and like, I'm sorry for anybody who's like a film buff and loves old movies, but I rarely see an old movie and think, wow, that acting is phenomenal. Because it's either over the top or like some transatlantic BS, but like these women, even though it was in a different language, they their face told the story of everything and I was really into it I also took note that when I mentioned earlier that I feel like everything in this movie was intentional so these women had eyeliner on which sounds like a weird call out but it's something to mention because it's 1300s 1400s in war they're by themselves but they wore eyeliner and the mother's eyeliner points down the daughter-in-law's eyeliner comes up like a cat eye And I have no idea what the connection is, but it just stuck out to me and I made note of it. And I was like, hmm, I wonder what that's about. So that's a really interesting element in terms of also black and white filming. Like you can see how garish a lot of things are that then got subdued very much in black and white. Like look at the Rob Zombie, the new Munster shit. It looks fucking terrible. But the stuff that's in black and white, you're like, oh, that kind of makes sense. Uh, and if you look actually at Japanese, like, you know, um, makeup and everything, there's history going back to the 1600s. And it's very interesting to see like what it means culturally, what it means. And also it, it adds the drama of the movie. It also has a lot of subtext. So, yeah, I, I sent you guys a screenshot of just the mom's eyes and how severe and like haunting they are. And then it's a great mimic her eyes with the mask, which are so unnatural. But then if you compare them, they look oddly kind of similar. And then going to what you were saying earlier, Mikey, as far as the gals running through the reeds, I thought that was really interesting as it pertains to like, there's always the example, show me, don't tell me. So we don't necessarily know why she's running. She seems frantic. Like you said, she seems more frantic and anxious than she does afraid. Right. And what's interesting is they show it. They show it. I'm intrigued. She explains it. So while it is an explanation rather than a visual explanation, it's interesting because of the way, uh, like how 
differentiated her performances instead of like clutching her pearls and just shrieking, right? There is more artful ways to show terror. And I think this is one of the really good ways of doing that, where as soon as she said it, I felt like this eureka moment of like, oh, okay, it's not lust, it's not uh, passion, it's not freneticism, it's literally terror, just done in a way that I think is a lot more, uh, you know, true to life in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I was trying, I was like, hmm, where's that screenshot? I went to go look at her text messages. <laughs> um, but no, I, cause I, you mentioned it and I didn't realize it, but it's totally true. But I feel also that the, the read scene of, with her running, cause it happens a lot. Cause she, she ends up going to the guy's hut and, oh yeah. Ugh, I love her eyes. Oh gosh. She's yeah. just so great. I don't know what she's been in the actress. I was looking at her stuff, but she was born in the twenties. She did a lot of film in between like the sixties and the seventies. There's one film where she has like really pretty makeup on. And I was like, I want to see that one. Cause it looks really good. She's but actually married to the director. They were, uh, so they, oh, they were thought on everything. It's like this, did you say how old this director was when he passed away? Mm-mm. So he died in 2012. He was 100 years old. His last oh, wow. movie that he directed was uh, in 2010. He was directing movies until he was 98 years old. That's awesome. I want to see. He did that. a movie called Edo Porn, which I might check out just based on the judging a book by its cover. You know well, saying? speaking of porn, <laughs> the uh, the the male lead actually did do a porno movie in 1981. Hold on, Edo Porn came out in 81. Dun dun dun. Uh. Our investigative journalism has blown the lid right off this son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was also <laughs> in Sword of Doom. Have you seen that one, Jake? Which one? Sword of Doom. It's one of the big samurai movies from the 60s and 70s. No. It was like one of the it. few big ones that wasn't directed by Kurosawa. Um, Interesting. And it's not Lone Wolf and Club. But yeah, it's really, it's also in the I love Lone Church. Wolf and Club. We have so much to talk about. Let's hang out, Jason. <laughs> is that on HBO? Lone yes, Wolf it Club? is. There's like six of them, and it's fucking great. Are the Zatoichi movies on there? Because there's a fuck ton of those today. Jesus Christ. Oh, you know what uh, Midnight Pulp is good for? That um, the Japanese scorpion lady in prison movies I told you about. There's a bunch of them on there. Not all of them. I, the Sword of Doom 1966, not streaming for free, but what? I will definitely check it out. It's, oh, it was uh, on HBO. Because it's a Amazon criterion Prime movie. Well. for $3.99. Son of a bitch. Okay. Anyway, sorry, I kind of interrupted. But I might be using my VPN. Who knows? Maybe in Japan it's streaming on Netflix. Maybe. I don't know, but Jason's not allowed on our shows anymore. Um, (laughs) Why the fuck? I'm just kidding. (laughs) I interrupted Mikey a little bit. Sorry, I got excited. Just kidding. Um, I don't remember what I was saying anyways. And it wasn't that you interrupted me. It's just now I'm left out because the boys are playing. The 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 boys are playing, and here I am again. By the swings the by myself. Picked last for football. Um, yeah. But um it's not chubby Elizabeth, it's fat Ethel. <laughs> Thin Lizzie. Oh, I don't <laughs> what? Oh, well Thin oh, Lizzie man. fucking rips, dog. Uh okay. Um <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a music person. Well, you I will just, be after this episode. I just put on lo-fi and like masturbate furiously. <laughs> Have you ever listened to lo-fi covers of old Dragon Ball songs? No, but I've listened to like really specific lo-fi. There's a song playing in the room next door while you brew coffee in your studio hut apartment. All right. I'm uh, but yeah, is that a thing? Lo-fi Dragon yeah. Ball? I'll look it up. It's good. And then I, on YouTube for my business email, I have just like synthwave vaporwave lo-fi just stuff i could put on in the background and so one day 
I was listening to some lo-fi and then it switched to a lo-fi cover of uh, Stick to Your Guns. And I was very entertained. So I forgot the artist's name, but if you know it, good. If you don't, Google it. I don't, but I have seen, I've seen the playlist for lo-fi for 90s grunge covers, but I digress. So in the film, Homegirl wants to go get her muff eaten by the new dick in Come town. Come on, we know that guy's not eating puss. Like he's all about his own self sexual gratification. He's well, already he's, like asleep by the time she is. He, he certainly does not look like a a, a a giving lover. That's for sure. He's a taker, not a giver. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he's not eating anything else except for rice. So, oh, and then so get this. Do you think the mother was doing what she was doing to keep the daughter in her hut, or because she was turned down sexually by? Is it Hachi? Yeah, Hachi was his name. See, I'm more I more of the the thinking that it's she was it was all about self preservation for her, agreed. and she felt like if uh, she left, then she would have nobody to help her, and she's not gonna be able to take the samurais on by herself. And that was, and she felt like if if she left, then she was gonna be hung out to die. I don't. I mean, the the being turned down by Hachi didn't help anything. I'm sure. Um, but that was the whole. It was all for her. It was just 100 self preservation at all times. By the and Hachi I seduction, I think that it's, she already sees it as a foregone conclusion this girl's going, and this is kind of almost a last-ditch effort to yeah. put a, a wrench in the works. Yeah. But you know, I think a huge theme of this movie that I don't, I haven't seen a lot of analysis online, correct me if you have, is the moral baseline and the bargaining with which people will justify. this. These are people murdering other human beings to get by, but they have a baseline where she thinks adultery or these things are, are heinous crimes. The fact that she is being unfaithful to a dead man, where she thinks that, you know, her sleeping with the guy would be a bridge too far when it's like these are murderers. These are thieves. These are lecherous people by other standards, but they still have some kind of moral code that they think is too far. I think it's a super interesting element of it. It is. And I feel like that was one of her downfalls. That's probably why. I mean, I I would guess the demon spirit didn't inhabit her body because she was playing God too much. Because if you remember when the first or when the, the guy who originally has the mask comes and she essentially tricks him and kills him by having him fall in the hole, she says basically like he deserves it. He kills people. And, you know, and I forgot what she she had a whole dialogue about it. So she's already justifying that she can kill this person because her impression is he's done X, Y, Z already when she doesn't actually know. Um, and then like, she also is, is cause it's mentioned more than once that the sin of lust is the most severe sin. She tells her daughter that maybe like two or three times and they're like, okay, well, people have been doing this for like years. And it's super weird to see. Cause I kind of, that whole like, sex is okay if you're married to me i thought it was just like an american christian thing and so to see it kind of portrayed in like old school japanese because they even mentioned buddha so i didn't know that it was like maybe a buddhist thing i don't know um he's kind of like he's like a no who cares about buddha's not even real who gives a shit you know granted he's probably just trying to justify getting laid but still like well, and I think that's a huge element of the idea of weaponizing faith is what she's doing. If she's not telling her simply as fact, she is trying to elicit a response from her. She is being 
an advocate, basically, right? So this is not a just objective truth that she's putting out in the world. She's trying to manipulate this girl and doing things. And that is a type of control and domination and domineering that you see in our society that a lot of people go, oh, but morally, are they okay? Simply because something is morally right. I mean, there's lots of like debate you can have where, yeah, okay, the idea of killing another life is wrong. But there are circumstances where abortion is very right. And the fact that people have access to that is very right. But people will use the stance, oh, but you, we can all agree killing is wrong, right? And then they'll try and backtrack, which is basically she's saying, hey, we can all agree that, you know, that adultery and lust is wrong. But when we pull it back, she's pulling that, you know, the bow string back to her own purpose and weaponizing it a different way. Because basically she's saying this girl's being unfaithful to someone who's dead, who she has no basis of being faithful to. Right. I mean, you could see how those kind of mechanisms work and speak broadly. And, and I guess in modern America, we're living in feudal Japan. It's crazy. I <laughs> <laughs> see. I'm also not even entirely sure that she believes her her son is dead. I mean, because she it's clear she doesn't trust Hachi at all to start with. And, you know, oh, he yeah. doesn't really give anybody reasons to trust him. He's clearly, you know, it, it seems like he may have been a deserter or just kind of getting away as well. Agreed. Um, so I, I feel I also think on top of what you were saying i also feel like she doesn't completely uh has given up hope that her son is dead yet you know um so i was also thinking that i, I mean i he's probably dead i would think but she's still it seems like she's still kind of holding out hope that he maybe is coming back if nothing else that would be more you know insurance for her for self-preservation which is what she's all about the entire movie because she can't grow crops she only she can do is kill steal and get millet you know we yeah. should make a shirt like that, you know, like like John Cena going back to the the Jorts discussion earlier. He had like the hustle, loyalty, and respect. Yeah, uh, kill, skill, get millet. Yeah, cool. Slashers out red bubble. It's a uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will actually I'll start designing this right now if my computer doesn't have a seizure from having too many tabs open. Mike, you were gonna say something? I was, but it was gonna be a tasteful, tasteless joke. Um, <clears throat> we're all about baby. Which ending do but you like better? Where the guy in Hachi's hut is the actual son, or where it's just another deserter? Which is more poetic in your view? What guy in Hachi's hut? Oh, the one the that was who killed Hachi. Food? Exactly. So yeah. it's very clear he is just referred to in a lot of the media and press clippings and descriptions of the film that I saw as the deserter. Doesn't have a name, but is never referred to as you know the old hag's son. I like to think of it. How interesting would that be if the guy did come back? He did escape. Hachi is a liar. And his first, you know, act upon returning is not to go see his wife. It's not to go see his mother. It's to get revenge on this guy. I think yeah. there's a, a, a certainly I don't think that's what the intention is, but it's a nice thought prompt. No, absolutely. It is. It, it, it kind of comes out of nowhere, too. You know, like he, he gets what I mean. Morally, the movie shows that Hachi has to go, you know, that's how, yeah. you know, that's how these things will go in stories. Um, but he just kind of come, he like comes home, he's waiting for her to show up so he can get laid, and he comes home and it's like, Oh, this is your food, and now I'm going to kill you dead. Um, it would be really poetic, but that, that a lot more depth if it, if it did. This movie would be even more heartbreaking too if, if it, it did, in fact, if it was uh, her son and her uh, and uh, her, her husband. Um, but I kind of like that it's just sort of left in the air as to who this person just showed up and it murdered Hachi, you know? Agreed, because I, I do think there's poet like a poetic justice in the idea that she's done this, holding this candle for her son. 
she everything then not having her, her having her son back to see the horrors of what she's become and what she's done and speaking to kind of like the you know the dregs that she's become but then also i do think that it's very it's poetic in like the the movie the strangers why did why did i pick like why are you coming to kill me because you were home why is hachi killed because he just happens to open the fucking door there's like there's something kind of beautiful in that opportunism, I guess, that Hachi has kind of profited from, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And then that's just what everybody remembers the most from Strangers is the fact that it, you just happen to be there, and that's why you're dead now. You know, Mikey, what you got to say about that? I I didn't even put that piece together when I was watching it. Honestly, I thought, oh, okay, Hachi's dead. Um, I don't know. I I would like to think that it was the son. Because if you think about it, well, we don't even know what really happens to the mother. Because if the mother's out of the picture, Hachi's out of the picture, then the daughter-in-law is kind of screwed because she kind of comes off as someone that needs a leader, whether it's her mother-in-law or the guy that she's hooking up with. Um, she doesn't really seem to be very strong-willed to be on her own. So if it's not her ex-husband, then if she kills her her mother-in-law, which is what she was kind of in the process of doing at the end, uh, she might be in trouble. But if it is her husband, then maybe there's hope for a semi-decent following to the movie after the credits roll. <laughs> um, yeah, and honestly, like the... I mean, imagine that situation. That's going to be a lot of couples counseling if the, you know, not only did you cheat on me, but also you killed my mom after she was disfigured trying to stop you from cheating on me. That's tough. Oh, yeah. And what was the last line that was spoken in the movie? Sup, sluts? Gooses? Fuck bitches, get millet. No, it was... <laughs> no, I'm already designing the kill, steal, and eat millet shirt. You can't that's change what it I, now. That's what I was going to say when I said you it was going to be a tasteless joke. I'm sorry. That's why I didn't want to say it. The last like line the of the movie though. is, I'm not that's a demon. Too, mame. I'm not a demon. I'm a human. Which goes back to our Danny Elfman. I am not a ghost without a soul. Come hiss and Well, I was just thinking about what the church tells gay people. So, (laughs) too too serious? (laughs) No, I'm into it. So, that kind of rang to me because when I first came out and I talked to the church about it, they were like, oh, the reason why it's a sin is because when you're a gay, there's a demon living inside of you. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Oh, um, neat. So when I heard her say that, I was like, oh, shit. And she's weaponizing religion. And she's the one ultimately that pays the price for it. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Because she, I mean, who's worse, Hachi or the the Onibaba, the old demon? Like, which one of those characters is worse, really? Um, at least Hachi, at least Hachi's, you know, like brazen about it. You know, he's not making any apologies about it. She's sort of being sneaky and underhanded this entire movie. Oh. Well, my my thing is, and this is actually one of my faults, is that I see the best in everybody. So with Hachi, he's not trying to hide that he just wants to have sex. And he even tells the mom, he's like, you can have her. We'll just be friends that fuck pretty much. Yeah. And with the mom, it, she's so desperate because this is her livelihood on the line. And at this point, she even has a breakdown. She was like, don't take my daughter. And it's like, well, she's not really your daughter. She's your daughter-in-law to what we assume is your deceased son. Um, So that relationship's already kind of like, kind of strange, kind of strained. Um, But she's just desperate because if she leaves and she's screwed and she, her life, like 
basically she's gonna die if the girl leaves her so i i understand the intent of both sides um it was just you know you mess with the wrong thing and the demon comes after you and then you get a mask stuck on your face i'm not gonna lie though when um when she buffs out like i knew it was going to happen because i've seen this movie a couple times before but when she did burst out of the reeds in the whole demon mask with her arms spread out it did make me jump a little bit i'm not gonna lie like it's but it's such an awesome shot there oh, i mean it's yeah it's it's behind you right now actually mikey yeah it um, was it's like one of the best because she's like floating towards her too yeah so yeah. it's it's so good i i feel like even before i knew what this movie was i've seen these shots so Oh sure, these yeah. shots are are kind of pop culture at this point. Oh yeah, I would absolutely. agree. That's what kind of what we're talking about, like the the zeitgeist of, and like the familiarity and seeing these images, and also like an oni mask is not something that's unique. This movie is not the only movie that has an oni mask. It, it's got deep culture. Um, you know, there's kabuki theater. There's all sorts of things. Uh, you see tattoos of it. You, there's all sorts of stuff that like goes back with a very rich history. Very modernly, you see a lot of. Um, the demon slayer show they have oni masks and stuff oh yeah uh, but it's kind of like that beautiful simplicity of just distilling it down to the simplest parts one of the reasons why like the original uh, halloween is so effective wearing a mask is in and of itself not unique but it's what's happening with the mask how it's presented almost that beautiful simplicity that makes this kind of greater theme where you're not just looking on the for lack of a better term, like the surface level right Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and you, it's uh, and this mask, I don't, it's just it looks it, it really stands out to me how crazy, uh, how crazy, and especially at the very end when she's like freaking out, like the, yeah. the scene behind you right now, Jake, actually, and you, and yeah. <laughs> you have the animated version, <laughs> yeah, that's right. and that's the scene that I was talking about is when she's actually trying to get it off, like that. I've seen tattooed on people, I've seen it a lot of places, but I mean, unless that stance is famous, also, but. <laughs> No, like this is it's it's a very very iconic, especially I would assume in Japanese cinema. Like this is just a very very iconic shot and mask. Um, yeah. Now, if you guys were running a video store, and you couldn't have a uh, a foreign film section, but you had a copy of Oni Baba, what genre would you put? Would you put it in horror section, or would you put it like drama or war or action? Like where where would you put this movie? Like what would you categorize this movie as? I would put it as horror. I have no problem with that either. I I think that it's a great testament to what the horror genre can be because I think it's very easy to say, Oh, it's not horror. Like hardly anybody dies. The people that die aren't killed in what you would characterize as a horrific way. It's simply in a way that's unfortunate or it's a victim of circumstance. But I think that's, that's one of the big takeaways of the movie to me is that negotiation, the moral relativism, the fact that, you know, the mom is willing to literally murder, uh, but then like, cosmos punishes her for her dishonesty like there's so many interesting parts of it um and i think that psychological element really is horrible what about you jason what do you think yeah i think you know i would go back and forth between some of the other stuff but i think ultimately this is this is a horror movie i think it has enough elements in here that it, but yeah like i said it is it's it's what the horror thing can be you know it's always it always kind of bothers me once any movie gets critical acclaim well it's not a horror movie it's just a a, a subversive thriller and it's like no it mother it Silence of the lambs is a horror movie get over it i'm sorry it won all those oscars yeah. but it's a horror movie if you don't like horror sorry yeah but this is what it is um i mean I, I said i said horror pretty quickly but that's because i actually thought about that at length while yeah, watching it because I, I was like but you know you have also the horrors of war and it's just the way that it's shot 
can you define a movie as horror just based on the cinematography? Because I feel like this is it. Like just the the running scenes, the the lighting. It's very almost like Shakespearean when it comes to the lighting. Like, I don't know. I just, I can't describe it totally, but there was something happening with the lighting that was making me feel it, some sort of the, way. The setting in this movie is almost a character in itself. Like It's almost like the reeds are always constantly watching all the characters uh, constantly and seeing what's unfolding. It, it almost, it did like the reeds almost feel like characters in this movie themselves, you know, as there's like the constant, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> I was trying to explain to my friend at work about the movie and I was like, so they're in a field. I don't know what kind of field it is. It might be a rice paddy. I don't know what it is because I didn't finish. The, I took two days to watch the movie because I have to be in bed by a certain time because my kids are in school. Gotcha. And I was like, okay. No judgment, dog. No judgment. <laughs> I was, Yeah, I was like, it's kind of like the Japanese version of like how America has cornfields. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Children of the Oni Baba or he <laughs> Oni Baba's behind the rose. Children of the reeds. Yeah. But I, I think that it's also meant to be familiar enough, but also ethereal and also smothering and also vacant. There's so many ways you can look at it. And it's weird because like, there have been few movies where I've thought like I'm just e- eating my own farts on this show where I'm like, I'm pontificating and I'm waxing philosophical. And, you know, I, I feared that I was treading very comfortable areas of, of fact and everything where it's like, oh, this is typical analysis of course everybody would write this movie but i really do think that there is a lot to be said about this movie in the way that it's presented I, I really just unabashedly love it and i think that everybody should see it this is not one of the ones where i'm like oh yeah you know like check it out if you're into this subset no 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 i think that this is something that should be on everyone's list because i know that there are people who listen to the show who don't necessarily listen to the movies that we do this is the exception i think i mean oh, i is- agree yeah, absolutely. And this is one of the few Criterion movies I think we've done on the show. Um, like this, Dead Dudes in the House, I think has also come in the Criterion collection uh, next month. Um, but yeah, this is this is uh, certainly one I think that everybody should. I mean, it's not, and it doesn't feel long. It's 100 minutes long, essentially. Like, uh, like it's hour 43. It doesn't feel that long, you know, as you would think, because sometimes it's like short three-handed movies can feel yeah. like just a torturous, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Even the really no. good ones. This one doesn't feel like I can't think of anything that should really be edited out. Like I could tighten up or shorten it, you know, nothing. Everything in this movie just works. I feel like, you know, it does. And yeah. Cause um, on my HBO max, I looked at the time and it was like an hour and 40 something minutes. And when I was watching it for the first night, I was watching it and I was like, okay, yeah, 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 whatever. It didn't seem like much was happening. And then I looked and it was already like an hour had gone by. And I was like, that didn't feel like an hour. No. So it goes by pretty quickly. Um, you know, another example and I think that this might appeal to a lot of people is the witch. The witch had a pacing that was almost frustrating at parts because it felt like you knew something could happen, but it felt like nothing necessarily was happening for a lot of it. And it was almost that deprivation. I heard recently about a a bit that and Jason, you might appreciate this. Mick Foley did at one point when he was in WCW, where he started acting like he had like uh, abandoned uh, extreme pro wrestling and was all about being very uh, by the books. And so there's a match where he was going against, I think it was Tommy Dreamer, and he just kept doing like side headlock takedowns and shit, right? And who was who was he at that point? Which one of his characters? He was Cactus Jack, and so that was the thing. People were so frustrated, and so the idea of this match it ends up with him kind of breaking this mold and beating uh, 
Terry Funk with a flaming chair, but the idea of not giving people what they want, right? So yeah. it felt like with the witch, I got this tension of like, what is fucking happening? And, but it, it left me feeling like I don't ever want to revisit this because the the craft of the movie is meant to make me feel distressed in that way. Sure. This I would rewatch tomorrow. In fact, as I was watching it, I told Sierra, I was like, hey, if you want to watch this with me, I think that you might get into it and I'll watch this tomorrow. And she was like, I don't give a fuck. It's not the Moulin Rouge. You can suck a dick. <laughs> yeah, like this, this is a, a very, very tight movie, I feel like. Tight as in like tight. And also tight as in like, mm, both. both. Just for clarifying. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I have a question, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, does this count as a trashic classic or a, what was the third one? Tragic. <laughs> Tragic. Oh, man, I love that scale. I'm kind of sad that we abandoned it, but I understand why we did. I think this is inarguably a classic like it's in the criterion collection for a reason like i really think this is one of the most artful films we've ever done yeah. um, i love it i'm so stoked that you had pitched it but i'm i'm absolutely open to other analyses yeah i'm absolutely 100 oh, no, i want to this being a classic i know uh the director was it kinetko shindo i think it's actually follow-up movie was another sort of horror folk japanese movie uh it's also an hbo max uh it's escaped me the name of it but it's also another like folk horror um this is actually uh guillermo del toro did a uh, top 10 criterion movies and this was in his top 10 um, rightfully so yeah um, i think so- you're talking about daikon to ninjin if i'm not mistaken maybe it might be it i totally just googled it oh okay the killer daikon radish (laughs) see i don't have i don't google my laptop i i I do it on my phone every once in a while but i feel like an asshole like y'all feel like is he texting somebody right now we're on slashers what come on be mindful of everybody's (laughs) time jason (laughs) how many people who we text is each other we know this (laughs) (laughs) pretty much um but yeah this is 100 a classic like i said it's in the criterion collection for a reason um yeah, this is just everything about this movie just is 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 great, and I hope mm-hmm. and I, more people need to see it. I feel like I'm sure a lot of people have, but I feel like the the common populace, uh, people that listen to the show, really would get a, a kick out of watching this movie for sure. Um, oh, it yeah. might not be the Toxic Avenger, uh, but you can't just keep watching those Arrow movies like Colobos every every day. How you know? dare you! <laughs> was that a dig at the Call Your Girlfriend Colobos episode? No, no, it was not. I actually enjoy that movie. It's a good I'm just time. Kidding. No, it's a great movie. Yeah. I mean, it's no secret <clears throat> Creature of the Black Lagoon is also a, a classic. So who takes the throne here? Oh, shit. We're going back to the old rules. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, no. You blindsided me. That sucks. That sucks hard. My hat's off to you, Mikey. I can dude. see you just, you got the biggest shit and grin I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. Dude, <laughs> I mean, all the time to people in depositions where I'll be like, Bubba. Bubba, Bubba, and they're like, yeah, and then I go, Shazam, <laughs> Uno reverse card, bitch, uh, and I, I cannot recall the last time it happened to me. Uh, I'll let uh, Jason. Do I have to answer first? I'll go first. Uh, honestly, I think this is a better movie. Um, you know, it's it, of course when you go back to entertainment values, eh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, it's probably more fun. Uh, you know, I watched it recently when I found you guys were doing that. Um, I 
I don't know. I just got, I've got also got that weird nostalgia for this movie when I was sick in high school. <laughs> so that's um, a tough thing because you actually have nostalgia, whereas Mikey and I are newly initiated. So I don't want to sound like a poser just siding with it, but it is a very tempting argument to say that this movie is better. Well, I'll go next. Please because do. Because when you talk about Creature from the Black Goon, when you talk about Onibaba, the strengths that both of them have are very similar. Cinematography is a huge thing in both. However, while Creature from the Black Lagoon is going to be more universally, haha, universal, universally, Ooh, hey, I see what you did there, accepted as entertaining and something that more people will probably take enjoyment out of, I feel like Onibaba is going to stick with me longer. That's a good point. That is a good point. You know, um, there is something thrilling in something new. The Creature from the Black Lagoon is something where I've grown up with it. I have a tattoo of a character that's based on it. So it's very easy for me to have a deep affinity for it, right? But I do think there is there's something to be said about like what's trying to be achieved. And it's this movie, its artistry, its presentation, the themes that it hits on are themes that I don't see enough in the world, basically. You know, um, I'm very comfortable, I guess, saying that I think that this is a better movie, um, even though I will be the first to say Creature from the Black Lagoon is one of my first loves of horror. I think it's a great movie, and I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm just saying I think this is a little bit more, especially in this season of my life. As, you know, If I was a kid, I don't know that I would appreciate this. If I was the same age seeing this as the age I was when I saw Creature from the Black Lagoon, that's a hands down for Creature. But I, sure. I think there's also something to be said about like, being an older man and dealing with themes of mortality and I like you know having sympathy for this woman who's like a brittle ass old woman who has to now you know deal with the fact that she has no income she has no lifeline she has no son she has no daughter who cares for her like there's a lot of things you can get into with that that's a mean, that was a mean joke I appreciate your candor I know it was hard for you you may leave the stand thank you <laughs> I knew before recording, I was like, I'm going to bring that back. It's good because honestly, next week is going to be a really easy win for this. Uh, for <laughs> oh, Onibaba, yeah. But, you know, it'll still be fun <laughs> to have that. I'm episode. super interested to see what is you guys got. Like, I'm super interested to see what the pitch is for next week. <laughs> well, remember, there's three categories and there's a throne for each. So it's probably not even going to go up against Onibaba. Dude, what's funny is we could fill two of the three slots just next week. <laughs> That's true. Okay, you're right. There, there is a possibility one of the two films could go against Onibaba. Oh no, I'm kidding because you have Trashic and Tragic, which are unaccounted for. So we could fill out the three if oh, the two yeah. movies we do are are bad and worse. Perfect. Uh, but that was All good. Right. I I think if you haven't seen this movie, guys, go watch it. I purposely didn't say much about the story. Honestly, the story doesn't have much to spoil, but it's just so good, so easy to watch. Watch it at night when everybody's at home in bed. Just do yourself a favor and enjoy it. Yeah, watch it in the dark. As dark as you can make your home. Watch it in the dark. Do it. It's a, it's a good time. I promise you. And honestly, uh, I think maybe now that Jason said it that way, I think maybe this isn't a, a an episode of the Tales from the Crypt. I think it's rather Are You Afraid of the Dark with dicks and vaginas and, <laughs> and boobs? Simply because that imagery of like the, the you know, the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but get out there watch that shit 
We had Doug, who's having a feature film release coming up very shortly in October. Uh, very likely by the time anybody listens to this episode, that would be The Ancient Past. So go check out Trash Juice. He has two shows on B-Movie TV. I might start doing those again. It was just hard with the timetable because we d- were doing it literally week to week and the things would change. But it is a great channel full of awesome stuff made by creators who are very passionate about their work. We have The Red Bubble, which I just finished the design, Kill, Steal, and Get Millet. If you would like it, go to slashpod.redbubble.com. If you really like this movie, I'm dead serious. I think I might do an Oni Mask variant of The Goon Show. Let me know if you'd love it. Slashespod at gmail.com or Slashespod on any of your social media platforms. Guys, do you have anything to plug before we get out of here? Uh, no, like and review the show. You know, uh, we're going to put this on YouTube. So if you want to, you know, like and review that, that'd be great. Uh, you can uh, rate on Spotify now, which is also pretty great. Um, but other than that, it's not it's nothing that I want to um, push, uh, Mikey. Uh, no, I think I don't think you mentioned Patreon, so you can find us on Patreon.com/slashespod, Instagram at slasherspod, and then Facebook. What is our Facebook group name? I can't remember. Mutant Goons from Beyond. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, find us there too. Eight um, handles that one for the most part. <laughs> Sorry for. <laughs> yeah, go go uh go give go stress eight out with inappropriate posts. Yeah, um, but. <laughs> But yeah, I think that's all that we have. All right. Uh, And so, you know what? I'm going to start doing something that I see a lot of people do that rip shit off, which is where they take five-star reviews off of uh, their stuff. Uh, So we already did the... the, One of my favorite reviews that we've ever done on this show. I don't know if I've ever read it. It's a one-star review. It's titled, Fun Entertaining Show! Exclamation point. These guys really do their research and make it a fun listen. Keep up the good work. I don't know that they realize that one star is not putting us in first place. It's quite literally the worst, but we absolutely love the review. Uh, so please do continue leaving the good reviews. I would really <laughs> love it. Uh, so please, please, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere, it does help. And honestly, at this point of our lives, we're trying to create content for you guys that has subgenres and everything so that we're giving you diversity. We're giving you consistent weekly content. And we, you know, we love doing it, but it, it also helps to know that people are listening. And I know that we're in a very, very oversaturated market. So for Jason, for Mikey, for Aid, who's not here, but is probably going to lament me putting up another goddamn design on slashespod.com. <laughs> this is Jake saying goodbye and good die. Bye. Bye.